Right, well, welcome everybody. Today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Before we get rolling on that, I want to mention just a couple of things. Next Sunday begins our revival, so we'll have services every night at 6.30. We have dinner at 5.30, Monday through Wednesday. Sunday night you're on your own. But um, every night you can come in straight out from work and, and come on in. We should be wrapped up around 8 o'clock so you can get your little guys home for bed and all that good stuff. But I um, want, want to encourage you to come. And then we have our men's conference Friday night out at the lodge. So we want to invite uh, guys to come. You can sign up out on the board there. Or you can also do that online on our church website. So I want to um, invite all you guys. It's going to be a great time. Good evening there. We'll probably wrap up around 10 o'clock that night, be my guess. And um, it's the cost is free. So we're, we're not charging for it this year. Um, we encourage you to come. should be a great time. Um, and then at, at the conclusion of our service today, we're having communion. So if you didn't get a cup, they're in the back there. And we also pass those out. But it's got everything you want. And the thing that you really want to remember, don't pull the whole thing on the first try. Get the little thin wrapper first. Otherwise, you'll get it all in one, one gulp. Um, <clears throat> but um, technology, you know, what can I say? Um, anyway, here we are in, in, in uh, Revelation chapter 7. So as, as we follow up with, with uh, last week's message and, and the picture that we had of Jesus, um, in verse 1 of chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So <clears throat> the first thing here is, is that Jesus is here. He says, To the angel of the church in Ref Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. So he's among us. So Jesus is here. He's aware. He knows what's going on. He is <clears throat> holding the angels in his hands, showing that he's also powerful. So he's here, aware, and all-powerful. And, and as he comes and, and he does this, that's everything that we looked at last week in regard to the Son of Man. So as we talked about Jesus, the Son of Man, last week in, in, in the robe, the golden sash, the feet of burnished bronze, um, and so forth, as we looked at the description of him, it, um, we come in this week, and, and this represents his awareness and authority over the angels as he comes in by holding them in his right hand. It means that he is aware of what's going on and that he is in authority. The right hand of God means the, the authority of God or the power of God. So <clears throat> there he is in, in coming in in verse, verse 1, and he's writing it to the church in Ephesus. So let's talk for a moment about who this church is or who these people are. Our Ephesus was a major city in the Roman Empire. So if you go back to the first century AD to the city of Ephesus, it was, one, it was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. So, you know, you, you're talking, you know, New York City, uh, L.A., Dallas, Houston, big, big cities. Um, it was a very, very big city. Um, it was a major trade and banking center. So if you went to Ephesus, it was a major place of commerce. It was a place of wealth. It was a place of importance. It was a place where things happened. It was a place where they went out in and impacted the empire. It was on the ocean, so it had a port, which was, you know, that, that's one of the huge things that you would have to have back in that day. You have to have access to a port, much like today, you know, you see big port cities have a lot of things happening. Um, so it was a port where goods could come in and goods could go out. So they could send things out as well as bring in stuff. It was also located on three major travel routes. So it had like three interstates coming right into it. So it was a really, really big and important place there. So that would give you kind of what they were like as far as, as the city of Ephesus itself. It was a big place, a very important city um, and with a lot that that was there religiously it was also very important if you come in um, you would say Ephesus was best known for the temple to the fertility goddess Artemis so it was the temple to the goddess Artemis and that is one of the seven uh, seven wonders of the ancient world so if you come in and, and you went to this temple um, 
it, it was there and, and it was for this goddess Artemis who um, was represented. Interestingly enough, there, there wasn't a big statue for her. She was like this big rock, black rock blob that, that had some features on it. But they said that it was just like this um, meteor that came in and that was Artemis. So you can see this in Acts chapter 19, jumping in about verse 23, and you can see that there was a big stink there about what was going on in Ephesus with the Christians. So uh, because of this goddess Artemis, so this temple is outside the city on the northeast, and it had literally thousands of priests and priestesses, and many of them were sacred prostitutes. So you have this thing going on there in Ephesus that's that's pretty crazy and it was the largest building in the ancient world so you look at this temple the biggest building in the whole ancient near east it is um it's the temple to artemis so um, as you come in it was four times the size of the parthenon in athens it was the first building in the ancient near east that was built solely of marble it's 425 feet long this building it's 220 feet wide it had 127 pillars and it's 60 feet tall in other words you could fit our building in there a few times it was a big big place so as you come in and and you look at this this is this is a huge place so that tells you the city its economic importance you talk about the religious uh, uh the religious temperature of the place it was a great place of 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 worship of this goddess artemis and then as you come in and you look at the the church the christian church in ephesus um, you could go into the new testament there's the book of ephesians that's written to the christians in ephesus is known as one of the letters that addresses what it means to be saved to be a christian what does that look like um if you come in there, the people who started it are names that you're familiar with. If you read the Bible very much, um, Priscilla and Aquila. So Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, they were the ones who started this church. <clears throat> this church was attended by the Apostle Paul. So, you know, if you start a church and you get the Apostle Paul to come, that's pretty cool, right? I mean, you know, you imagine, let's go, hey, our church, you know, we've got, you know, Billy Graham. He's here every week on the front row. Um, or, you know, you name somebody that, that's, that's a big name. So you've got the Apostle Paul. Then you've got Timothy. There's two books in the Bible that are called First and Second Timothy. Then you go on from there, the Apostle John also was a part of this church. So as this is the first church he addresses. It's the first one that he would see from the island of Patmos um, as, as you come in. So you've got some serious people in this church. It's got an incredibly impressive lineage. And if you want to just drop one more name, you know who John had with him, right? Jesus' mother. I mean, this, this, is, this is kind of got like the who's who in their church. So, you know, and today when you meet somebody, you go, yeah, I go to first church. You know, I go to first church. Well, this was the first church in Ephesus, but, but there's no church around here that, that would match or anywhere else that would match this church. I mean, it, it had a who's who in, in the apostolic realm coming in there and, and attending. So Jesus writes to them. So now they're being reminded that Jesus, the Son of Man, is the one upon whom everything hinges. He's coming in and, and he's letting them know that he's, he's here. I'm aware. And I am all powerful. He's the reason for the church, and he's the only one worthy of our devotion. So as we come in and we look, you know, this is the church, and it's the first one being written to. Then he goes on. Jesus goes on in the message to the, to the church at Ephesus. He says in verses 2 and 3, he says, I know your works. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So as we come in, we see the signs of orthodoxy in this church. This church is rock solid. I mean, when you come in and, and you know, say you're Say this is your first time to be here today. So you're coming here and you're saying at the church, you know, one of the things that you're hopefully wondering, is the teaching true? 
Are they, are they sticking with the Bible? Is it solid? Is it there? Is it in line with the Word of God? And, and what, um, what Jesus said is, he says, first of all, your works and your deeds, they're, they're solid. I mean, it's solid. You're, doing, you're, you're rock solid in the things that you're doing. You're caring for people. You're ministering to one another. You're making sure that the things that need to happen are happening. They knew what was required of them. They knew what the Bible taught, and they made sure that they did it. I mean, they got the tasks done. As a matter of fact, he talks about your toil. Your toil. You know, when you say, I'm toiling over this, that's saying, I'm, I am working by the sweat of my brow. I am diving into this headlong, and I am giving everything I have to make it happen. I'll, I'll give up sleep. I'll give up food. I'll give up whatever it takes to make it happen. I am working hard to get this to happen. So they did the right things. And then... As you come in and, and you look at this, look, if, if you were looking at their calendar, their calendar's full. Their church calendar's full. They've always got something going on. Their Facebook page would be ginormous. You know, it, it, you, you would spend forever there trying to figure out what was going on because these were people that were looking, they were seeing the needs, they were, they were meeting needs, they were doing outreach, they were doing everything that, that, um, that you would think that a church would do. There was a lot of things happening there, and they showed up. They showed up, and they did the work. I mean, they, they didn't have that kind of problem. So they came in, and, and then he says that... Um, <clears throat> You patiently endured. You're patiently enduring. The, the, the final thing is, is that they're enduring suffering patiently. They're being persecuted for the faith. If you go back over to Acts chapter 19, there's a big stink because these Christians are coming in. And as these Christians come in, all of a sudden, the city of Ephesus, which is the temple of Artemis and, and all of the silversmiths there, they have their guild and, and, and they have their union meeting. And they're coming into their union meeting and they're saying, I don't know what's going on, but I only sold 1,000 statues this month. I sold 2,000 last month and it's getting worse and worse and the Christians are the problem because they're telling people not to worship Artemis and these people are going over there to, to these dudes named Paul and Timothy and I don't know what the deal is with it but we got to get rid of them because we're going to go broke. They're affecting our bottom line. They're patiently enduring suffering as things go bad here. So these are people, I mean when you look at this church you go man these guys are solid. They are solid. In 1 John 4, 1 through 3, John wrote and he said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So, as you come in, th this is the type of church this was. They tested things. They made sure that things lined up. If somebody came in to teach, they made sure that they were on point. They made sure that they weren't teaching something that was strange to the Scriptures. They made sure that they weren't coming in and bringing Artemis with them, you know? They wanted to make sure that their church stayed true to the Word of God. They knew the Word of God. They understood the Word of God, and they made sure that it was applied and, and lived out, and they lived it out in a pagan culture, and they never wavered from correct doctrine. They didn't intermingle the things of the world with the things of the church. They kept it right. They kept it pure. They didn't come in and say, you know, I know the Bible says, but, you know, it's a different day now. Or we live in Ephesus, not Jerusalem. They, they never did that. They stuck straight to it, and they were quick to refer to it. So Jesus commends them for this. I mean, if you come in, and you would expect that, right? I mean, you would expect if Jesus came into our church, and, and he said, you know what? This is a church that's on task. 
This is a church that is true to the Word of God. This is a church that is doing the things that, that are supposed to be done. Um, he, he would commend us, and, and so he does. He commends them for it because they're all positives, and, and they were like the Bereans. If you go and you read about the Bereans, where they first called Christians, it said that they were very noble because they always checked everything that they were taught to make sure that it aligned with Scripture. So they came in, and they did this, and, and they lived it out through their works. So as you come in, you, you look at all of that, and you look at works and, and different things like that. In the next couple of months, we're going to do a thing called Bethlehem over here. If you've been here before, you, you, you know what we're talking about. If you don't, it's, I can't explain it. it be about 4,000 people come through here in four nights, though. And, and it takes a lot of work. So we'll, we'll start um, the 10th and the 17th. We'll have big setup days. Um, we'll, we'll have like 150 people here every night just to make the thing run. It's, it is a... It's a pretty well-oiled machine, and it takes lots of work. There's a lot of toil that goes into it, but it's toil for a purpose. The purpose is to introduce people to Christ. So we come in, and, and you've got that, but, but it's an amazing time, and it's going to be driven by a love for Jesus and making him known. Those are the bottom line issues that come in with it. So, so when you come in there, you know, I encourage you to be a part of that, sign up and, and get involved out there, but, um, but, but they're not just... A people who are correct in their beliefs, they're, they're not, they don't just have signs of orthodoxy, they also have signs of inner decay. So you have orthodoxy on one hand and you have inner decay on the other. So they look really good, they, they do all the right things, they don't teach weird stuff, everything looks good. But he says this, and, and these, are, these are not you know, you always want verse 2 and 3. This is what you always want to hear when, when, when you hear from God. You want to hear verse 2 and 3. You do not want to hear verse 4. Verse 4 says, but I have this against you. That's not the one you want to hear. But this is what he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have... You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So they have signs of inner decay. And the sign is, is that their works are motivated some, by something other than a love for Jesus. They're doing all the right things, but they're doing them for the wrong reason. They're not doing it because they love Jesus. They gradually moved from a very vibrant faith, a very, uh, a very alive faith and that was driven by love for Jesus and moved from that to an obligation. They moved to this is what we do. These are the right things. These are the things that, that have to be done. They became a works-driven church. They became a church that, that, was in, it, that was driven by the machine, not by Christ. It was driven by these are all the tasks that have to happen. These are all the things we want to do. This is what it looks like. It, it would be like if everything that happens here in the next two months was not driven by a love for Christ and a desire to make him known, but instead saying, you know what, this is important to our church. We've got to do this. It's the right thing to do. You need to sign up. I want you signed up because if, if, if you're truly a good Christian, this is what you're going to do. This is what a good Christian does. They get involved. And <clears throat> that's bad motivation. It's wrong motivation. And, and this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, the problem is, is that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. They gradually moved from this vibrant living faith to something that was just driven by the have-tos. This is what we do. These are our obligations. It's like a marriage that slowly loses its spark. If, if you come in and, and you look, the most common metaphor in the Bible for our relationship with God, how we relate to Him, is marriage. You know, like it or not, that's the metaphor that he uses, and there's a reason for it. There's a reason for this because a marriage begins on fire. And if it doesn't, you're in trouble. But, uh, but it should begin on fire. I mean, it's like, man, I love that girl. I want to be around her. I mean, I, 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 there's nothing I really want to do that's more important than, than seeing her. And then it's, I want to be with her forever. 
I want to be with her all the time. I want to marry her. And then you get married. And then when you're married, everybody makes fun of you and calls you honeymooners. You know, they're like, oh, there's the newlyweds. Look at them. You know, and, and uh, they, you know, they make fun of it and everything else. But you know what? It's because there's a spark there. There's a fire. There's a vibrancy to that relationship. It's real and alive. And you know what happens to that marriage? Work, mortgages, kids. Then you have kids, and, and, and they start doing things. Man, you know, you have that first baby, and, and you got this little bitty thing, and, and like stuff comes out of them that you didn't think a person that small could do. And it happens in the middle of the night, all over the place. And, and you're, you know, all of a sudden, your normal hours of sleep before work become something else. And you get up and you go to work. And after a while, you're just kind of walking around on short sleep. And slowly, you become to the point of taking care of the obligation, right? I mean, you got the obligation. I got the obligation I got to take care of. And, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, I'm, they're not really just an obligation. They're more than that. But... You know what I'm saying, right? You throw two or three, you got three of them in the mix, it gets really interesting. And, and so, you know, you, you kind of come in and, and you do this, and then you have work obligations, um, and, and you slowly move into taking care of the tasks that have to be taken care of, right? It's just normal. It's easy to do. And you lose sight of... This is what brought us together. This was the spark that lit it all. This is the reason that we've got kids. This is the reason that we have a house together. This is the reason for all of these things over here. The reason is over here, but we forget and, and we move. And, and so we slowly drift there. Then hobbies come in and, and uh, you know, other obligations and so forth. And, and eventually... <clears throat> They slowly drain us of our time and energy, and the marriage becomes a thing of function, not a thing of passion. It's easy to do. And <clears throat> that's the metaphor that God uses for our relationship with Jesus. This is a really good one. I mean, we can look at it like that, and <laughs> if you've never been married, you say, no, seriously? It's easy. It's easy. You know, people commonly, you know, the common thing you'll hear about marriage, it takes work. It does. You have to work to stay on task with what brought you there. You have to work. And <clears throat> Jeremiah 2, 1 and 2, in the very beginning, you know, God speaks. He says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. And so what Jesus says to them is that they need to repent or they need, they need to remember. First of all, they need to remember from where you have fallen. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent to turn away from what you're doing and to turn back to that and to re-engage and, and to start afresh, move in and to do that. And that's the solution to a faith that's grown mechanical. It's, that's the solution to it. It's just like in the midst of all of everything with a marriage and, 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 and all. And, and now, you know, my wife and I, we've been married, Trish and I, we've been married for 33 years. And our kids are grown you know, we, we've got one that's, she's grown, she's kind of grown, she's, well, not quite grown, but she has grown, she's 20, and, and so in college, and, and um, you know, it, it's going to be a short time to where she's, like, fully on her own, yeah, but, um, but, you know, the deal is, they grow up and move out, and, and people say, well, what are you going to do when they move out? Well, if you remember, and you stay engaged to each other, you do what you did at the beginning. You know, they'll say, where, where do you, I think one time, one of them, I think, I think 
the youngest one asked one time, what are you going to do when I'm gone? So I just looked and laughed. I said, your mom and I, we know what to do. Trust me. We'll have plenty of fun, just the two of us. It'll be just fine. Because we didn't get lost in everything else. We stayed connected to one another. And this is what Jesus is saying. We need to stay connected to him. Stay in there. And remember, it means to take yourself back to what it used to feel like to serve Jesus. What it was like when you first believed. What it was like when you first gave yourself to him. And how that felt when you realized that he had forgiven your sin. And he had made you whole. And he had redeemed you. Because he loves you. Not because he had to. He chose to do that. He chose to do that. Knowing everything about you. Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? He chose to do that. And remember how warm that felt, how good that felt to know that you would be with Jesus forever, that you would always be his, that nothing could take you from him. And Jesus is saying, remember that, remember that, remember where it all started. And, and you stood firm. When, when you came into that, when we come to that point, boy, we want to stand firm on the Word of God, and we want to know more about the Word of God. I mean, uh, you want to study the Word of God and learn about it, not because you have to, but because you want to. You want to know more about this God who loves you. You want to know more about who He is and what He wants to do in your life. And you spend time reading your Bible each day, not because you have to, because you desire to, because in there you hear from Him. And you pray because you want to talk to Him and share your heart with Him and share the things that are going on there. And, and you've learned about good and evil and stood firm because you don't want to lose the joy that you're experiencing in the moment. You see, you learned all you could because Jesus was the most important thing in your life. And this is what He's saying. Remember that. Remember the height from which you have fallen. You loved him with your everything. In Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, um, <clears throat> somebody asked Jesus a question. said, what's the most important commandment? What's the biggest one? I mean, what, what is the deal? And, and Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So as Jesus came in, he said, look, the most important thing is, is vertical between you and God. But there's another one that's just as important, and it's horizontal, and that's the right relationship with the people around you. That means that you get along with the people around you, that you love the people around you, that you treat them with dignity and respect, that you understand that they're made in the image of God. And so not only it, did, did you love God, you loved the people around you. You cared about them. You wanted them to know Christ. You wanted people to experience him and to understand what was going on in your life. And an interesting thing that Jesus says here in in this last verse, in verse 6, he said, Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Um, he says that you hated the works of these people. You didn't hate the people. You hated their works. You didn't hate the people. And, and this is important because as you come in and they hunker down in Ephesus and they begin to live out their faith in Ephesus and they've got the temple to Artemis over here, the biggest building on the planet, and, and it's made out of all marble. It's fancy, ornate, and everything that's going on. And they've got thousands of priests and priestesses going in and out. And they've got stuff happening over there that you just go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe people are doing that stuff in public. And, and all of these things that are going on, and, and what, what Jesus says is, you know what? You hate their works, but you don't hate them. You hate their works, I hate their works, but I don't hate them. And they were still doing a lot right. And they were not hating the Nicolaitans, but they were hating the works of the Nicolaitans. It's an important thing for us to remember today because we're in a culture today where there's a lot of stuff that happens around us that, that as we come in as Christians, we go, whoa, that's not good. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff in our culture that's, that's spinning around and, and we just go, you know what? 
I don't want my kids involved in that. I, I, don't, I don't think this is healthy. I, I see things around, and I, I see that there's, uh, there are some things that are very contrary to the Word of God. But, but the application is, is that we can't hate those people. We can't hate people. It's the actions. And so in Ephesus, what they were doing is they were doing all the right things inside their church. They were doing all of the good works, but they had just become cold to Christ. And it was a short step from there to hating the people around them. So as they come in, this is what's going on. Their hearts, their hearts were not in it, even though they were doing the right things. The psalmist writes in Psalm 84, 10 and 11, he says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord, God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So Jesus tells them, you went the distance, you've gone the distance, but somewhere along the way you forgot who I am. And what he's telling them, he's saying, go back, go back to where you started, relive it in your mind. How did you feel then? What was going on? And, and this is the reminder, and it's, it's an important reminder to us today. You know, we need to go back to that moment where we met Christ, and we need to 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 get a mental picture of that, what it looked like, what it felt like, what the understanding was, what he did for us, the hope that he gave to us, and, and what drove us in that. <clears throat> and then we can repent and change our thinking back to what it was. We can re-engage. We can go back to where we started and do that. You see, love for Jesus eclipses everything, and we need to re-engage him like we did at first. So <clears throat> as, as we come in here and we look, we'll go through seven churches um, here, and it'll take a while to go through the seven. But, but as we go through, I can sit down and I can read all seven of them. I read the, the, every letter that Jesus wrote to the churches, the seven letters, and you know, hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches at the end of them. The same way it'll end with this one. But, um, but this one, I find this one haunting. Because this one says, you can look really good on the outside. You can do all the right stuff. You can check every box and still be wrong. That's scary. That's a scary, scary thought. So he goes in, in verse 7, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So the final thing is, is to wake up and enjoy Jesus. This is what it means to repent, re-engage, and, and, um, and to remember is that we are waking up and enjoying Christ enjoying who he is. Jesus uses this um, this phrase, he who has or he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And, and it's something that's familiar in the gospels when Jesus tells a parable, he says, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And it's not unique to Jesus. It goes back to the Old Testament, it goes back to the prophets. And as Jesus uses this phrase to the churches, you can go all the way back to Isaiah. You go back to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 is like one of the high water marks in the Bible. It's where Jesus sees into the temple. He sees into the throne room of God. He says, you know, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord lifted high and exalted on his throne when this train of his robe filled the temple and it was filled with smoke and I could hear the, the heavenly, um, the cherubim shouting back and forth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And, and I fell as though I was dead and God spoke to me and, and I said, woe is me because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the Lord. And one of the cherubs picks a flaming coal up off the altar and touches my lips and say, you've been cleansed. And then, um, I, you know, God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And so you've got this great visual that's going on here. And here's what happens right after it. Right after all of this takes place, God says, 
Go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. These people had refused to listen over and over and over again and and God was saying it's done. And they were carried off into exile. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this thing that's familiar to people who are familiar with Scripture. And he's giving them a warning to wake up and return. He's saying, wake up. Wake up and smell the coffee. Wake up and get back to where it all started. Wake up and do the things that you did at first. The promise that he gives, and he goes, and then he says, to him who overcomes, this is kind of interesting, he says, to, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What in the what is To the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat from the tree of life that's in the paradise of God. <laughs> what in the world is this about? And, and it goes back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And what he's saying is, is he's coming back and he's saying, look, when, when we talk about repentance, when we talk about restoration, and we talk about re-engaging, here's the whole picture of it all. This is the whole picture of everything. The Bible is, is, is going to wind down in this book of Revelation. And it is the fullness of the story of God from beginning to end. This is how it's going to wrap. And, and what it says in the end is that the Garden of Eden will be restored. It says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And this is where John wraps up the vision in chapters 21 and 22. And in that, what he says is, he says to the one who overcomes, he will be in this new creation. He will eat from the tree of life. He will be restored. She will be restored. It's a return to Eden and a face-to-face relationship with God. It's restoration to where God created us to be and removing everything that sin stole from us. This is the promise. So if you go back into Genesis chapters 1 and 2, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, it said Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. And they chatted with him face to face. They fully knew him. There was nothing hidden from them outside of the knowledge of evil. The only thing that they lacked that we have that they didn't have is sin. No sin. Sinless perfection. They were totally what God had created them to be. And what Jesus said, he said, to the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He said, I'm going to bring you back to this place. I'm bringing you back. And that's the hope and the promise. And that's where the cross of Christ leads us. That's the hope of all people. And this is what, as, as we come into here, and he speaks to his church at Ephesus, he's saying, look, you need to go back and, and re-engage me. You need to come back and get your heart back to the place where it started. And your heart needs to be about making me known to the nations. Your heart needs to be about knowing me more intimately. Your heart needs to be about walking with me and understanding that I'm the one who gives all good things because there's no good thing you will lack in <clears throat> as you come with me. And <clears throat> so that's the hope, and that's where Christ leads us and the cross leads us and he's shown us through his choice to bear our sin and shame and places righteousness on us this is what's happened this is what took place there so as we come in and and we wind it down and we look at this church in Ephesus and we look at what what Jesus says to the very first one the very first one is to bring them back to that place where it all starts is to bring them back to that understanding to bring them back to that heart and that joy where Jesus wants us to be. 
That's why we'll do this thing next week, revival. I mean, it's because we'll come and we'll worship together for four days. And in those four days, it brings us back to that day after day after day after day. It forces us to examine our motivations. It forces us to examine our hearts. It forces us to examine what we love. It forces us to examine what do we want. It forces us to look at Christ who loves us the way that... who loves us unconditionally. If you want to know how does Jesus love us? Ephesians chapter 5, not only Romans 5a, but Ephesians chapter 5 says, Husbands, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave himself up for her so that he can make her holy through the washing with the water through the Lord and that he might present her as a spotless bride. Think about that a minute. That's what Jesus did. He loved us unconditionally. Nowhere in there did it say he got anything from us or anything else. He loved us unconditionally so that he could present us to God holy and blameless without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. A radiant bride. Now, I know that's kind of weird for a guy to think a radiant bride, man, oh. But, but you know what? I've seen a lot of radiant brides and, and like way up close and personal in my job, like right there. And I'm telling you, I've never seen one that didn't beam. And that's what Jesus is saying. This is what I want to do. This is, this is where I want it to go. And, and by the way, the beaming was on both sides. But... Um, <clears throat> But that's where he wants us to go. And this is what he wants to do in our lives. This is how he wants us to live it out and and to do it. And he bore our sin and shame and he placed his righteousness on us. And as we come to the Lord's table, as as we wrap it up and, and we celebrate communion with these fancy little cups with plastic and foil on them, that uh, <clears throat> that go, um, it's not really about the stuff that's inside of it so much as what it represents. And it represents Jesus, God in the flesh, who stepped out of heaven and entered into our suffering. And he gave his life so that we could be redeemed and restored. And I want to talk about that for just a second. Every single one of us in this room have regrets. We all have regrets. You could sit down and probably write out a list. We're all old enough that we could write out a list that would go probably pages of of choices that we've made that we wish we'd have chosen differently. Uh, I, I don't think I'm the only one. And no matter what we do, we can never really change that, can we? You just can't roll the clock back. Once you make a choice, that choice is done, and you live with the results of it, right? Except for what Jesus did on the cross. Turn the clock back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We're going to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That's where we're going. And in the new heaven and the new earth, there are no regrets. And all of your regrets are gone forever because you've been redeemed and restored. You're restored to what God created us to be pre-sin. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, it's just amazing. That is a hope that cannot be taken away. And that's what the cross represents. And that's the hope of all people in all times. And and as we come to the point where we take of this, that's what I want to encourage you to think about. Where was I when I started with Christ? Maybe you haven't started and you want to start today. And that's really simple. It's just coming to the point saying, you know what? I know all that stuff. I've got regrets. I've done things wrong. There's, there's no question about it. And I would love to have a do-over. 
I mean, are you serious? I can really start over again? Absolutely. Not through anything you do, but through what Jesus has done. He died on a cross. He bore our sin and shame. He took our sin upon him, and he placed his righteousness on those who would follow him. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, is the scripture. So you can turn to Christ, acknowledge your sin and shame, ask for his forgiveness, trusting that he died on the cross and rose again, and saying, I will follow you. And that, that's where it begins. That's where it starts. And you can start the journey today. And you don't have to remember because you're, you're right there in the present. It's in the present for you today. But for the rest of us who have done that, it's time to remember that, to remember what it was. And that's what the Lord's Supper is about. It's a meal of remembrance. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. It's to take us back to the moment. It's to take us back in, reset our focus, and help us to go right back out to where he created us to be. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today praising you because you and you alone are worthy. Father, we pray this morning that you would draw us close to you and help us to remember clearly the moment that we met you, to clearly remember the joy that you brought to our lives and the resolve that you placed in our hearts. And Father, help us to move towards you in all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The scriptures tell us that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks and broke it, and he said, take and eat, this is my body. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup, and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me, for I will not drink of this cup again until I drink it in you with you in my Father's kingdom. And then the scriptures say that they left the upper room and they walked down through the valley of the shadow of death. They went through the Kidron Valley and they walked up to the Mount of Olives and they went to the Mount of Olives where Jesus would pray and he would be betrayed by Judas and the following morning he'd be crucified. And this is where Jesus left it all. He said, as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. And they sung a hymn as they walked from the upper room to the Mount of Olives. It said they sang a hymn together and they went. And they left singing as they went. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to close. We're going to pray. And then we're going to sing a song and be dismissed. Father, we once again praise you and we thank you. Because you are so good to us. Because you offer us life and hope. Father, you offer us an eternity with no regrets. Totally restored. To where every choice will always be right. To where we'll see you day in and day out. There'll be no need for a sun or light bulbs because you yourself will light everything. Father, we'll worship together with the people throughout the ages. And Father, we'll know you as you know us. We thank you for that and we praise you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand.